Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the serialized audiobook of The Rookie, season one of the Galactic Football League series. Written and performed by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler. The Rookie is also available in print, ebook, and unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit slash The Rookie. The second day, the computer woke Quentin and told him to dress. He followed directions and didn't have to wait long before the door opened and something started to come through, to float through. Quentin jumped away from the door, his back hitting the small cell's wall. It floated at chest height, a white, tapered, flattish creature about four feet across and six feet long. At the outer edges of the body, thick skin moved in undulating waves, like the long wings of a stingray or a skate. A row of six deep, black, sensory pits lined the creature's curved front. A member of the species named the Hurrah. My goodness, the creature said. Are you all right? The creature hadn't said it because Quentin didn't see movement from anything that might be a mouth. He realized that the words came from a small metal machine strapped to the creature's back. He recognized the creature as a resident of one of the five gas giant planets that made up the Hurrah tribal accord. He'd never seen one in person, just on Holos as GFL refs. He'd also studied them in the classes that taught every Purist Nation child how to kill the sub-races. The common nursery rhyme jumped unbidden into his head. A punch in the pit, any of them will do. Grab the wings and pull down, so blessed are you. Bring up your knee, oh so, so, so high. Let this enemy of high one die. He remembered that kind of move put sudden compression on the hurrah's heart, causing it to rupture. The hurrah's sensory pits combined to produce a kind of sonar that let them see everything via sound waves. A curled tentacle sat outside the leftmost and rightmost black pit, the hurrah equivalent of hands. It wore a pack of some kind on its back, an orange and black pack with many compartments and pockets. Quentin stared for a second before he realized his hands were balled up in a tight fist. Who the hell are you? I'm the Kraken's team doctor. You may call me Doc. Please relax, my good man. I'm here for your physical. I don't get a human doctor? Hurrah, make excellent doctors, I assure you. I've been studying multi-species sports medicine for 50 years. I realize that my appearance may be a bit startling to you, Quentin, but I pose no danger. Now please, sit and relax. Doc reached a tentacle into his backpack and came out with a bracelet done in a bluish metal. Please disrobe and hold out your wrist. I want a human doctor. That's fine, but I am the team doctor for the Ionath Krakens. If you want to play for the Krakens, I have to examine you. If you want to go back to the PNFL for another year so you can find a team with a human doctor, that is your prerogative. 
Quentin gritted his teeth. He wasn't waiting another year. He stripped out of his bodysuit and held out his hand. Doc's tentacles shot to the long scar on Quentin's right arm. Quentin managed not to flinch as the alien examined the old wound. How did this happen? Grinder accident when I was a kid, working in the mines. I almost lost my arm. But that scar, did, did they use stitches with a needle and thread? It was a pretty bad injury. I think they did a great job. They grafted the bone together, repaired the muscle connections, stitched the whole thing up. Stitches and bone grafts. Sheer barbarism. Doc fastened the bracelet around his wrist. This device will check all of your vital signals. I already have a great deal of physical information on you from yesterday's test, so this is somewhat of a formality. Now I am going to check your joints. Machines can't always find what can be found by touch. Quentin's lip curled involuntarily at the thought of that thing touching him. But he'd have to get used to aliens, so he might as well start now. Doc's tentacles gripped his arm. They were warm and soft, not cold and clammy as he'd expected. Doc bent his arm at the elbow, then straightened it, pushing against the joint. Does it hurt when I do this? No. Doc continued his examination, moving from joint to joint. The NFL doesn't give out medical records. What sports-related injuries have you sustained? None. Doc paused. There's no use in lying, my good man. I'm going to find any injuries you've had. Search all you want. The hurrah doctor continued looking. After five minutes of gentle poking, prodding, and bending, he stopped. He pulled the device off Quentin's wrist, looked at it for a moment, then returned it to his backpack. How is it that you played football for four years, yet you have no injuries? Quentin shrugged. I don't get hit very much. Yes, well, I suppose you don't. Now, we have just one more test, Quentin. We must check you for a hernia. Quentin's heart sank. He'd forgotten about that most invasive part of the sport's physical. I don't have one. I need to check. Please stand. Quentin sighed. Tentacles on my testicles. Yeah, I'm really moving up in the world. Chapter 4. The Team Quentin spent two days at the Combine, but experienced nothing as arduous as the initial test or as disturbing as his exam with Doc. League officials continued to test his reflexes, his strength, and his endurance. The initial exam created a baseline of his physical capabilities. Subsequent tests further developed that analysis and were combined with extensive measurements of intelligence, analytical thinking, and mental reaction time. Meal trays slid through a slot in his cell walls, three times a day, the same time every day. The best of that food tasted like a bland nothing, the worst like some kind of rancid sawdust. He ate it anyway. Quentin wondered if the food would be like this on the Kraken's team bus. The thought made him shudder. He wanted some good old-fashioned nationalite cooking. After his last test, a holographic video game that had him slapping colored balls in a pre-described pattern as fast as his hands could move, Quentin returned to his cell to find new clothes laid out on his metal bunk. 
loose-fitting sweatpants and a sweatshirt, new Nike football shoes and socks, all in the orange and black colors of the Ionath Krakens. An orange and black bag sat next to the clothes, containing a second set of sweats and the clothes he wore when he arrived at the combine. The last item, the one that really caught his attention, was an Ionath Krakens jersey. A jet black jersey. It had an orange number 10 with white trim on the front and the back. He was glad to see he'd keep his old number from the Raiders. Orange, black, and white Kraken's logo patches were sewn into each shoulder. A Kraken was a huge oceanic predator native to Quith, the Concordia's capital planet. As long as 200 feet, with a 20-foot-wide tail and six tentacles that ended in sharp, jagged hooks, the Kraken was a vicious hunter. Quentin thought it a fitting nickname for a football team, much better than, say, the scientific-based names of the League of Planets teams like the Wilson Six Physicists or the Saturli Six Explorers. This is it. I'm on my way. I'll be on every holo tank in the freaking galaxy. My parents will find me for sure. A buzz sounded from the speakers, followed by the computer voice. Attention prospects. Garb yourselves in the clothes provided, and when your door opens, carry your bag and take one step outside. You will be guided to your team representative and taken to training camp. Quentin quickly removed the sweat-stained yellow bodysuit and stepped onto the mesh circle. A nearly invisible cloud of tiny machines flew up from the mesh like a hazy fog. He moved slowly, raising his arms, lifting his feet, letting the nanites reach his every nook and cranny. The tiny, tingling machines scoured his skin, gobbling up every piece of dirt and dust, scrubbing away sweat and grime. While effective, the nanites did not offer the pleasure of a steaming water shower. In less than a minute, the cloud disappeared, fading back into the metal mesh. Quentin couldn't contain his excitement as he put on his new team clothes. Tier two or not, he felt a surge of pride as he slipped on the orange and the black. This was his team now, the team he would lead to victory. The door to his cell hissed open. Quentin hurriedly pulled the sweatshirt on over his jersey, grabbed the bag, and stepped outside. Up and down the hall stood smiling young men with similar clothes but all in different colors. Alonzo in the red and blue of the Earthlings. Olaf in the gray-on-black stripes of the Clyptic Parasites. A player in the cherry-red dots of the Sada Air Warriors. And another in the multi-shaded purple of the Sky Demolition, a team in the Quith Irradiated Conference along with the Krakens. There were far fewer players than Quentin had seen the first day. By his rough estimate, around 30% of them were gone. He wondered what fate awaited those men. Either an ignoble ride home for a trivial offense, surgery in prison for any removable mods, or possibly they had already been executed. Boss One fluttered through the hall. You have all passed the combine. You will now join your team representative. Be aware that other species may be joining you at this point. It is a crime under Kretorakian law to use racial insults against other species, and that species-based crimes such as assault result in far harsher penalties than the same crime against a member of your own species. Intolerance of other species is not allowed under Kretorakian law. Boss One fluttered to his perch. The voice once again came over the loudspeaker. Texas Earthling prospects follow the blue line. A blue line glowed on the floor. 
Alonzo and a lanky, black-skinned man, probably a quarterback, walked down the hall. Alonzo waved. Good luck, Quentin. Hope I see you in the playoffs. Shore achieved in prospects follow the blue line. Three men wearing green dots on black walked to the end of the hall. All three were obviously quarterbacks, and Quentin knew two of them would probably open their lockers in a week to find a ticket home. Only one would make the cut. Ionath Krakens follow the blue line. Quentin stepped out. For a second, he thought he was the only one in orange and black, but another man fell in behind him. Quentin hadn't seen him during the combine, nor did he recognize the face. The man wore number 26. Quentin followed the blue line, his new teammate right behind him. Two hallways later, an airlock hissed open, and he found himself on an empty deck in the landing bay. The deck had four doors. The eight-foot-high one that Quentin had just walked through, another just like it, a narrow one 12 feet high, and one 10 feet high and 8 feet wide. The viewport showed that the deck-sealed airlock connected to a 100-foot-long shuttle, an older model, but neatly trimmed out in orange and black. Five Kretorakian guards waited there, flittering about, first in the air, then hopping on the floor, then hanging from the ceiling, never staying still. I am boss seven, the lead Kretorakian said. Line up on the blue line. At his command, a blue line appeared on the deck, perpendicular to the airlock. Quentin did as he was told. He turned to number 26, his new teammate, a burly, thick-chested man with legs the size of sonic cannons. He had dark, yellowish skin and a curly beard that hung to his chest. Quentin Barnes, Quentin said, offering his hand. Yasud Murphy, the man said, shaking Quentin's hand. Quentin finally recognized the man's face. Yasud had broken the Tier 3 rushing record in the Sklorno League and led his team to the championship of the Tier 3 tournament. Glad to have you aboard. I saw highlights of your performance in the finals. Yasud nodded. Yes, thanks. That was a pretty good game. I cleaned up on the point spread on that one. Quentin's eyes narrowed in disbelief. You bet on your own games? Oh, yep, Yasud said. Everyone bets in the Sklorno Leagues. What, you never bet on your own game? Not on your life. Well, you should, Yasud said. There's money to be made if you know the odds. There's bets for everything in the GFL, man. Take me, for example. Did you know the odds of me making it through the season without serious injury are three to five? That's not very good. Not very good? Are you crazy? Three to five is great for a rookie. I'm only here because the Kraken's third running back caught Finkel fever from some girl on earth. He's out for the season. That means I'm third string, so I won't see a whole lot of action playing behind Mitchell Fayette and Paul Pearson. But then again, you know how frequently running backs get hurt in this league. Everyone except Fayette, anyway. That guy can take more hits than a battlecruiser. They don't call him the machine for nothing. What are my odds to start? About even? Yasud laughed. <laughs> start? Hardly. Odds are three to one you don't even make it through the season before they ship you back to the purest nation. Quentin felt anger instantly overtake him. That's bull. Nope, Yasud said. It's not three to one. Why the hell is that? You're a nationalite. You've probably never even met other species face-to-face, let alone played with them. Did you know only 20% of Pyrrhus Nation rookies make it through that first season? Quentin shook his head. He'd had no idea his people held such a dismal success rate. 
Yasud continued. It's true. You backwater jokers usually can't handle the interspecies dynamics. Hell, I've got a thousand on you dropping out before the season is half over. Quentin paused a moment, trying to control his anger. Then you made a big mistake. Yasud shrugged. We'll see. You win some, you lose some. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Quentin started to speak when the 12-foot-high airlock door hissed open. Two Sklornos stepped onto the deck. Quentin had seen them on the net before, but never in person. They were tall, probably nine feet apiece. Twelve feet long if he counted the tail that extended past their legs. Translucent chitin covered black skeletons and ghostly images of semi-translucent internal organs. They reminded Quentin of full-body human x-rays he'd seen in his childhood school books. Coarse black fur jutted out at every joint. Their legs practically screamed speed and leaping. 
translucent two-foot segments, folded back like a grasshopper's legs, ended in a thick pad of a foot with five long, splayed toes. The legs supported a slender body stalk that curved backward like a bow. Two long arms, coils of translucent, boneless muscle three feet long, jutted out from three-quarters of the way up the trunk, in the approximate position of where a human female's breasts would be. Each Sklorno wore an orange and black jersey, with the numbers 81 and 82, respectively, on the trunks below their coiled arms. Even though he'd seen Sklorno heads a few times on the web, they still took some getting used to. Two curled raspers hung at the top of the body stock, just below the head, partially covered by a chitinous chin plate. When unrolled, the raspers reached to the floor. Hundreds of tiny teeth coated each rasper. They could tear through almost anything. Back in the war times, stories abounded that the Sklorno ate their enemies. Humans were supposed to be a particular favorite. The head itself was nothing more than a softball-sized block of oily, coarse black hairs. Sklorno heads didn't require a lot of volume, as the brain was located in a long column on the back of the trunk. Four boneless eye stalks, each a pebbly, deep magenta, jutted from the furry black ball. The eye stalks moved independently, like intelligent snakes on the head of the mythical Medusa. Boss Seven shouted something in the high-pitched click-and-squeal Sklorna language. The Sklorna walked up to the blue line, eye stalks waving as they examined every angle of the flight deck. Quentin fought down a wave of revulsion. He felt grateful the two wore jerseys. Otherwise, there was no way to tell them apart. Number 81 stood on Quentin's right side, and number 82 stood to the right of number 81. Number 81's raspers rolled out, wet with saliva. A thin strand of drool dangled from the left rasper, wetly swinging down the eight feet to the floor. You are Quentin Barnes? He nodded in acknowledgement. It lowered itself, rear legs folding up like a grasshopper's. In that position... It stood just under six feet tall and actually looked up at Quentin. I am Denver, the Sklorno said. It used its tentacle arm to point at the other. This is Milford. Another string of drool dripped down from Denver's left rasper. Quentin fought the urge to turn away. You are a great thrower, Milford said. The Sklorno people watch you on the net. I am looking forward to catching many passes thrown by you. No, I am looking forward to catching many passes thrown by you, Denver said. I will catch the majority of passes. Milford turned suddenly and stood tall, extending to a full nine feet. No, I will catch the majority of his passes. Denver also stood, eye stalks waving wildly, tentacle arms whirling in a threatening pattern. No, you will be on the sidelines watching me catch passes. Milford's body began to shake, sending streamers of drool flying across the flight deck. The boneless arm stretched back, as if to strike Denver. Then suddenly, five Kretorakians brandishing entropic rifles flew between the two Sklorno. Cease hostilities, Boss Seven said. Cease, or you will be deported before you can report to your team. As quickly as the flare-up started, it ceased. Denver and Milford sat down on their tails. They twitched and moved and squeaked, just a little, as if neither was capable of sitting perfectly still or remaining perfectly quiet. Their ever-moving eye stalks flittered in all directions. You must be one sexy guy, Yasud said. The girls are fighting over you. Girls? They're females? Yasud rolled his eyes. 
Don't they teach you backwater purist idiots anything? You never took basic multi-species biology? Another nursery rhyme jumped into Quentin's brain. The crickets have eyes on top of their head. Grab them and pull them, they'll soon be dead. With Satan's soldiers, don't ever be kind. They can't see to sin if they are made blind. Quentin shrugged. I know how to kill them. That's all the biology the nation is concerned with. Yasud laughed. Yeah, that's what I heard. Sklorno females are the athletes, the soldiers. The males are those little two-foot high things, kind of like a furry black ball. Quentin's face wrinkled in surprise, remembering broadcasts showing the small creatures that seemed to throng around the tall Sklorno he now knew to be females. Those things? There's hordes of those. Those are the males? I thought they were pets. Yasud shook his head. Ah, the wonderful education system of the purest nation. Quentin again felt very stupid and hickish. The feeling made him want to hit someone. Hey, wait a minute. I heard the word Denver. Isn't that a city on Earth? Yes. The Sklorno are football crazy. Once they start playing the game, they take the name of an Earth city or region because Earth was the birthplace of football. I didn't know Sklorno could speak English. English is the language of football, Yasud said. You either understand it or you won't get to this level. The Sklorno players spend several hours a day working on it, but it's very difficult for them. Quit them, no problem, of course, and the key can understand it well even though they can't speak it for crap. The ten-foot-by-eight-foot door hissed open, and a nightmare crawled out. Like the Sklorno, Quentin had seen Key only on the net. Key were often cast in purest nation movies as bloodthirsty monsters or tricksters out to collect human souls. With movie-making technology that could make any imagined creature as real as a human, however, everything on the net took on a sense of fantasy. This key looked like the movie creatures, but a holo cast simply didn't do the species justice. Its 12-foot-long, tube-shaped body bent upward in the middle, giving it a 6-foot-long horizontal piece and a 6-foot-high vertical piece. Bright orange skin covered with small dots of reddish-brown enamel covered the body. Six legs stuck out from the sides of the horizontal segment, each leg thick and just over four feet long. Two more limbs protruded from each side of the vertical body. These were shorter, but thicker, with muscle rippling under the pebbled skin. Each upper body limb ended in four stubby fingers. Five glossy black eye spots surrounded the vertical body's tapered point. Key were well known for their 360-degree vision. At the top of the tapered point was the vocal spout, a small cluster of worm-like tubes. Between the top sets of vertical arms was the thing that gave Quentin nightmares as a child. The key, mouth. The mouth consisted of six short, thick, sharp black hooks in a hexagonal pattern. Inside the hex was a pinkish hole lined with row after row of triangular black teeth. He'd seen many movies where the upper arms would drag human prey to the mouth. The hexagonal hooks dug into the screaming victim, pulling it tight, while the triangular teeth ripped out chunk after chunk after chunk. Bite, swallow, bite, swallow. What do I do if a key should attack? I get behind him with my foot in his back. I bend him hard, his back gives a crack, because the high one loves me, and I love him back. The key's orange and black, four-sleeved jersey ran from the bottom of the vertical body to just under the horrific mouth. There was just enough room for a small number 93 on the chest. 
Quentin shuddered as he pictured the creature tearing through an offensive line, multi-jointed arms wrapping him up and taking him down. This key had to weigh at least 580 pounds. The smell of rotting meat filled Quentin's nose. His face wrinkled in disgust, and he waved his hand to clear away the odor. What is that stench? Yasud laughed. You'd better get used to it. That's how the key smell. Boss Seven barked out a command. The key language sounded hoarse, gravelly, guttural, and Quentin didn't understand a word of it. The hulking key scuttled toward the blue line, its horizontal legs moving like a cross between an insect's and the oars of an old Greek warship. Yasud nudged Quentin. That's Mumokiloe. He played in the Sklorno Leagues, had 26 sacks in a 12-game season, another five in the playoffs. You played against him? Yasud nodded. Yeah. You can't imagine how hard that thing hits, and he has no concept of the difference between practice and a game, so don't get on his bad side. Mumo Killowee stopped four feet from the blue line. He pointed his upper right arm straight at Quentin. The tubes of the vocal spout quivered as the nightmarish creature let out a long barking sound. It then reared back and started lunging forward. Quentin had already taken two steps back before the Kretorakian guards flew in front of Mumo Killowee. Their entropic rifles aimed directly at his eye spots. The key stopped turned his long body, and got on the blue line to the right of Milford. Too bad, Yasud said. Looks like you're already on his bad side. Did you understand what he said? Some of it. It seems your fame precedes you. He said something to the effect that he saw your championship game, and he prayed to the key gods that you were on another tier two team so he could cripple you. Cripple me? Well, the key considered a high point of honor to knock someone out of the game. Maiming, dismembering, and death are all acceptable methods. Now that you're on the same team and he'll see you every day in practice, he figures he'll cripple you for sure. Oh, this is just great. You know, if you want to put some money down that you won't make it through training camp, I can put you in touch with my bookie. Screw you. Hey, I'm just saying you might as well come out of this with some money, if only to pay your prolonged hospital bills. Quentin turned and raised his fist, but Yasud raised his hands, palms out in a defensive posture. His eyebrows rose high in mock surprise. Hey, now take it easy. I'm just riding you. And if you throw that punch, you're on the next ship back to the purest nation. Quentin lowered the fist and stared straight out from the blue line. Just keep talking, he said. You'll get yours soon enough. The orange and black shuttle's door hissed open. A pair of quith leaders scurried out, one with jet black fur that glistened under the landing deck lights, the other with unkempt yellow fur mottled with irregular brown stripes. Two dangerous-looking quith warriors followed the leaders, one about 300 pounds, the other a good-sized 375. Their carapaces were both painted in the wild reds and oranges of quith commandos, and each carried a five-foot-long stun stick. Quentin had read about the Quith Warriors in his history class. They were one of the deadliest creatures in the galaxy. Fast, strong, and vicious. One-on-one, they were no match for trained Purist Nation soldiers, of course. At least, that's what the history books said. Standing this close to one, Quentin suddenly found himself wondering if his history books were more than a little bit colored by holy men propaganda. 
The big warrior, Quentin was surprised to see, wore a Kraken's jersey with a number 58 on the chest. A Kretorakian dressed in a blue vest inlaid with tiny, tinkling silver bells flew out of the airlock, did a pair of 360-degree circles, then fluttered in front of Mumo Kilowee. The Kretorakian barked something out in the key language, the key answered, and the Kretorakian settled down on top of the bigger creature's head. Quentin leaned over to Yusud. What the heck was that all about? Most geek can't speak human or quith, Yusud said. Kretorakians can speak all languages, so they frequently act as interpreters. Why is it dressed like that? Is that some kind of interpreter's uniform or something? Yasud chuckled softly. <laughs> he is a civilian. Uh, a civilian? You mean it's not in the military? Let me guess. The holy men taught you that all Kretorakians are mindless soldiers bent on exterminating all other races? His hickish feeling cranked up another notch. Well, yeah, that's about right. Yasud shook his head. It is amazing that such a backwater place can even function. Kretorakians are just like everybody else. They've got a mostly civilian population along with the military. Well, I'll be. Just don't trust them, Yasud said. All the Kretorakians that deal with Tier 2 and Tier 1 are con men, or so I'm told. Quentin started to ask another question, but fell silent when the Blackford Quith leader stepped forward. I am Greedock the Splithead. You are all now my property. You are rookies. You are nothing of importance. I own your contracts for this season and have the final say on if you make the team or not. He gestured to the yellow-furred leader. This is Hokor the Hookchest, coach of the Ionath Krakens. You will follow his instructions to the letter. Hokor stepped forward, his antenna plastered back flat against his skull. Training camp begins immediately. This shuttle will take you to the touchback, our team bus, which is your home as long as you are with the Krakens. You will stow your gear, then report to position meetings where you will be given your study assignments. Once you have been shown how to operate the Kriegs Balak virtual practice system, you will report to the field for practice. Mumo Killowee barked out something unintelligible. Shizzle, what does he want? Hokor asked the blue-suited Kretorakian. Shizzle swooped down, his silver bells tinkling in time with each flap. The great Momo Killowee wants to know when he can begin to hit the human Quentin Barnes. Quentin's eyes widened with surprise. This giant key wanted to tear his head off. Tell him to shut up, Hokor said. And tell him he'll only be told once. Shizzle relayed the command. Then Momo Killowee turned and strode towards Quentin roaring sounds that rang obscene despite the language barrier. Quentin turned to face him and crouched, mind instantly switching to game mode, looking for the best place to hit the 580-pound, six-legged, four-armed nightmare. The nursery rhyme said to go for its back, but he didn't see a way around the long, muscular arms. Quentin barely saw movement before the two quith warriors were on Mumo Killowee. They both jabbed him with their staffs, resulting in a loud crackling sound and flickers of blue-white light. Mumo Killowee roared in pain. <laughs> he turned and grabbed for the quith warrior wearing the Kraken's jersey, but the smaller creature danced back, effortlessly avoiding the wild grab, then jabbed the stun stick into Mumo Killowee's chest. Mumo Killowee sagged, then fell to the ground, a 12-foot-long motionless blob. 
The rookies watched in silence. The smell of ozone filled Quentin's nostrils. The Quith warriors each grabbed one of Mumokiloe's arms and labored to drag him into the shuttle. Normally, we'd kick him off the team, Okor said. But we're short on defensive linemen, and the season is only a week away. We're not, however, short on wide receivers, running backs, or quarterbacks. Okor walked down the blue line until he stood in front of Quentin. Kneel down, human. I want to look you in the eye. Quentin quickly looked at Yusud, who nodded nervously. Quentin got on one knee and still had to lean down to look straight into Hokor's one big eye. He'd never seen a quith leader, or any other alien for that matter, this close up. Hokor's eye wasn't really clear, but a translucent light blue, filled with hundreds of green discs in a tight geometrical pattern. His fur was thick, each strand much thicker than a human hair. The most disturbing aspect was the pedipalps, quivering things on either side of the mouth, as coordinated and well-developed as a human arm. Quentin kept his cool, but it surprised him to feel the grip of a lifetime of purest nation teachings. Most of his people would be screaming right now, either with pure terror or righteous, murderous rage. He mostly viewed those people with contempt so it shocked Quentin that he felt both emotions stirring up from somewhere so deep in his subconscious he hadn't even known they existed. But Quentin was on a mission, and his pure, unstoppable desire to play football at the highest levels ran far stronger than programmed ideology. As soon as practice starts, nobody is going to be there to stop him. You had better be ready to complete the offensive play when three of those things are coming at you, hoping to maim you, or, if they get in a good shot, just kill you outright. Quentin smiled. Just give me the ball, coach. Hookor's antenna quivered once, then fell flat. We'll see, rookie. He walked to the airlock door. Kraken's rookies, come aboard! You have been listening to The Rookie, Season 1 of the Galactic Football League Series. Produced by Ariok Morningstar, with post-production by Steve Rickyberg. Written and performed by Scott Sigler. For more information on Scott and more free stories, go to scottsigler.com. Theme music is the song, The Kids Are Coming For You, by the band Super Weapon. Superweaponband.com. You're kind of sad, but in the air, the kids are coming for you. Nothing you can do, they're coming for you. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.